And good morning again. We are going to get I, started. I have a question. What's that now? <laughs> Who are these chumps you're talking about? Um, <laughs> well, you, you think just because there's a crowd watching, you can say whatever you want? You know, that look. You? That Use somebody it's, a microphone. It's, you never know what I'm going to say. <laughs> this is not going to go good, I don't think. Uh, no, it uh, it was a fight last service, so hopefully it won't do that. This I'm just we, kidding. It wasn't. Yeah, we actually had a panel um, of five, and two didn't. Make it. <laughs> two didn't make it last <laughs> didn't make time. It yeah, last that's time. right. Uh, yeah, we are going to answer some of the questions you guys, you guys have already been sending them in, and so we're going to answer some of those questions. But you can still send them in. Uh, I have all of the power, uh, and so I get to to throw the questions to these guys. Uh, but first. First, let me introduce you to our panel this morning. Uh, We have our senior pastor, Dr. Randy Hahn, here with us. And then in the middle here, we have our education pastor, Ronnie West. And then the incredibly handsome man at the end there is our uh, pastor of discipleship and singles, <laughs> Mr. James Ford. I'm clapping for I don't know what that was. About. I don't know what the clap is for. Uh, and so uh, they're, they're, they're clapping for all of us, not just James, weren't they? Yes. Uh, I don't know about that. I was definitely only clapping for James. But anyway, um, uh, first question for you guys: uh, Are Bigfoots real? Go. I was watching a show last night. Les was searching for him in, up in Ontario, and he says yes. Who? <laughs> I go with what he said. Les, you know, no. survivor oh, man. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I don't he know. Says yes, anyway. So there you go. <laughs> okay, Sasquatches are real. That's our first answer to our questions this morning. Uh, no, actually, here we go. We actually got this question texted in. I actually think it's a really good question. Okay, so we're going to jump off with this one. Do you believe only Baptists get into heaven? Or are all believers in Jesus Christ welcome into heaven? So, only, yes. only Baptists. Only Baptists. Just, just like it wow. says. In, you know what? Actually, that's funny. It, that's a, we talked something, not that question, but we talked about something about kind of what's the point of all this. Uh, and folks, let me say who you're getting this from. I'm a company man. I, I, I am Southern Baptist. Uh, I was president of our state convention the last two years. I'm, I'm involved in denominational things, politics, all that kind of stuff. But how often do you hear me use the word Southern Baptist in here? Very rarely. You know what? My goal for you when I'm preaching, our goal for you when you're in a life group, when you're involved in a ministry, you're going on a ministry, is not that we would lead you to be better Southern Baptist. Uh, Our goal is that you'd be a faithful, effective follower of Jesus Christ. And and this word is is where we're going to point you. Now, this is what Southern Baptists say makes you a... No, what does God's word say? And I hope what you hear today uh, as we go throughout this time... As a matter of fact, I'll tell you for a fact what you'll not hear is... You won't hear, well, what Southern Baptists say. No, we're going to... Hey, what does God's word say? What What does God's word teach? We're not real denominational around here. Uh, 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 of course, all the Southern Baptists are going to heaven, but that's a whole nother. <laughs> <laughs> that's no, written in the book of uh, second we, hesitation. Sal- salvation yeah. is not based on the denomination that you're a part of, but solely and directly related to your personal relationship with Jesus Christ and Amen. your faith in him. That's right. Y'all have anything to add to that? Yes, I was sir. saying that the idea that only Southern Baptists go to heaven is written in the book of Second Hesitations. Second Hesitations <laughs> yeah. is where that is. If you're is, looking okay. for it textually. This is, I think, a good one. Uh, did God create sin? Now, here it is. First, there was only God. God either created sin or created the possibility for sin, which in essence is the same thing. 
Most of so was the fall of God his ultimate plan? So what do you guys think of that I, question? I think I had a 40-minute answer on that <laughs> last Sunday. Last Sunday, yeah. Didn't I? Yeah. Uh, you, I'll, you, t- you I'll let a... one of y'all start off because I just talked a whole bunch. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Ronnie, <laughs> you started. you got to take it now. Once you open your mouth, you got to go. Did I? Really? <laughs> Take you go for it. That's the I rules. Really that. I make up the rules while we go, by um, the way. No, I think, I think in, you know, gee. That's a big question that really needs hours to talk about, isn't it? And you did 40 minutes of it last week. Uh, no, I don't believe it's the same thing. I'll start with saying that. I don't think uh, that God in his sovereignty allowing uh, for that to be the same thing as him creating it. And so um, I think you can see throughout, uh, throughout the scripture where he in- interacts with different people, whether it be all the way back in the book of Genesis with all the stories of the different individuals there, all the way through the New Testament, you see God's grace in their life, you know, so God created us uh, with a plan already pl- already put in place, but uh, created us to to uh, to because He loved us and because He wanted to bring glory to Himself. Uh, typically, the way I answer that, there's usually a, a heart behind that question and a head behind that question. There's an intellectual problem, but there's also kind of a gut feeling behind that question. Uh, the head part of that problem is. Yes, God knew that man would sin. Uh, sin is not a, a, a substance in that he had to create it. There was an opportunity there. Anywhere where there's separation from God, there's sin. And when he made man and woman with the ability to choose him or not choose him, there was the, the, the capacity there for sin. And he knew that that would come about. But that doesn't in any way indict God. I mean, a lot of us, I mean, if you have kids and you're going through the grocery store, you know what's gone on that day. You know you're getting ready to check out, and there's C-A-N-D-Y in the little aisle there that you know your kids are going to be eyeballing. You know they're going to ask. You know the good thing for you to do is to say no for whatever reason. And you know absolutely because of the way things have gone that day and the state that child's in, that when you say no, they're going to sin and they're going to throw a fit. And so in that sense, you, you know that sin's going to come about there. But the good thing for you to do, for a variety of reasons, may be to say no. And that's not the same as saying that you caused that child to sin. Did you know he would? Absolutely. In the same way, God, absolutely knowing the future, created opportunity where he knew that people would sin. But that doesn't in any way indict God. The only way you have this problem is if you believe what the Bible says. And if you believe what the Bible says, you also have to believe that he's not the author of sin, the author of temptation, and that he's good. All the time. Okay, that's the head behind the question. The heart behind the question is, if you're hurting for people who are in sin and you're wondering why God allowed that to begin with, that, that heart, that burden comes from him. That is a reflection of what God is like. And so if you, if you are hurting for people, know that God is more holy than you and he hurts more for you. And that hurt that you have for people, that burden you have for people who are lost in sin comes from him and is a shadow of something that's greater and perfect in him. So just trust what the Bible says, that he's good, that he loves people. And the reason why he's giving you that burden is so you'll go and talk to somebody about the saving work of Christ. I know that was longer than 90 seconds, but I was trying not to breathe. <laughs> hey, okay, wait, wait, I, I, I got to weigh in now. Yes. I got to weigh in. Uh, well, I have a question I don't, too. No, no, no. Okay. I'm going to weigh right. in. I'm going to be quiet. All right. Uh, Okay, I forgot what I'm I was going to yeah, say. Yeah, no, exactly. Shoot. <laughs> no, go ahead. No, no, you know, last week we fo- I focused on, on the choice. Mm-hmm. And any choice away from God is by choice a, default, uh, uh, a choice for sin. God is light. Mm-hmm. So if you move away mm-hmm. from him, you're moving to darkness. God is truth. If you move away from him, you're, you're moving to the lies. Obviously, he did not author. He did not set that up. That's not his desire. But you know what? It's more than just God gives us a choice. 
This is what separates us from all the rest of creation. You and I are the only, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, we are the only part of creation that was created in the image of God. We're not robots. We're not like animals. We're not just responding instinctually. I am so confident that my dog loves me. My dog loves me and thinks I'm the best thing since sliced bread. But a lot of that, folks, is the way God designed and created and, and he is responding instinctually to stimuli. You and I are not doing that. We, like God, created in his image, actually have the ability to choose. But to have a real ability to choose means a real ability to screw it up. Why am I not supposed to give my kid candy? <laughs> you're not, Next question. You're not even supposed to say candy. You have, oh, okay. to, you have to spell I'm it out. Sorry. That's not what he's saying. C A N D Y. Yes. All right. Why did you spell it out? I didn't want to cause any problems. I didn't know if there were kids in here. <laughs> Trying to save you one more battle to fight. You're welcome. All right. That was for free. Hey, uh, what does it mean? The first word they learned to spell. Like, yeah. like three years yeah. old. Yeah. Uh, so, what does it mean to burn coals on your enemy's head as you serve and love them? Ooh, good. I bet I, bet I bet I have an answer different from them. I bet I can make them look stupid. Watch yeah, okay, y'all go ahead good, and answer good, good, this no, first. Good. That's bad. <laughs> go ahead. That's one of y'all, y'all take this on. I don't know the answer to that question, but I typically, when you read that passage, it sounds like a bad thing. But from what I oh, heard I and understand, the I believe, why did he do He wants me to be wrong. Um, <laughs> but it's actually, I believe, a good thing that you're doing to that yep. person. Um, and it's a cultural reference. And that's all I got for you. So take it from there. Yeah. You know, uh, you, we see all over a lot of cultures, ladies, people carrying water jars on their head because you've got to move water around. What's another thing you've got to move around? Fire. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a little bit of a dangerous process. <laughs> you know, and, but they, there's actually in this culture, they would carry fire on their head. I don't know, sounds kind of stupid to me, but they knew what they were doing. And so it really fits, that, that proverb is very much like the, uh, uh, the, the New Testament idea about blessing your enemies. You would actually be doing something good. You're helping them do something. They're, they're doing evil to you. You're doing harm to them. But by, by doing good back, uh, then, then you're actually helping them. Because you know what? We get stuck, don't we? You're mean to me, and so I'm mean back. And you're mean to me, and so I'm mean back. And, and because we're both mean to each other and our kids are watching this, guess what they do? They get mean. And, and we all get stuck in our meanness. And what that's just saying is, hey, let's break this cycle. Everybody, or why don't just somebody just do something good? And all of a sudden, the person's thinking about the good that's been done for them and not, not the evil. Um, we're actually getting a lot of questions about heaven, and I kind of wanted to, to pause for a second. I, I meant to say this earlier. Uh, we actually aren't going to be answering a lot of the questions about heaven because Randy's actually going to be starting a sermon series in a few weeks on June. heaven in June. Yeah, we're going to be doing June 22nd. There we go. It, yes, I mean, if we're it. being exact. It being exact. June 22nd, uh, he's going to start a sermon series on heaven, and so he's going to be answering a lot Eight of the weeks. questions that people have. Yeah. Eight weeks yeah. on heaven. Yeah. A yeah. lot so of it's questions be, on it's going to be a lot, answering a lot of questions on heaven. He's actually going to be answering as well a, a question next week, uh, which is, are near-death experiences real, which is a little bit related to that, and also something that's kind of relevant to our culture right now. Uh, so he's going to be talking about that next week. But I do have a question that's sort of in that vein that I want to pitch to our panel, which is, what happens to people when they die uh, that have literally never heard of Jesus Christ? An example is given of Native Americans, people indigenous to the rainforest, even those that lived before, his, before Jesus' birth. Okay. 
I'll start. I feel like I've been talking okay, a lot. Okay, as, <laughs> as far as people born before Jesus' birth, Psalm 49, uh, what are the exact verses? 7 to 9 and maybe verse 15. But Psalm 49, write that down. You're going to see the faith of somebody trusting in Jesus without knowing to call the name Jesus. What, what David says there is, man, to redeem a man's life from the pit... To redeem a person from the grave, that's a, that's a costly thing. I can't pay for myself. I can't pay for you. You can't pay for me. And then he says, if I'm going to be redeemed from the pit, it's going to have to be something God does. And so without saying the name Jesus, what did he just say? It's, it's going to be God's work. And, and so it's an expression of grace. It's an expression of trusting in the Lord. As for people who have not heard, um, you know, I think our tendency is to start off believing that we're all... I mean, we're all pretty good, right? We're trying. <laughs> the Bible says we're not, we're not pretty good. Our, our starting point is not our goodness. As a matter of fact, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the starting point. Acts 4.12 says there is no name given under heaven by which men must be saved in the name of Jesus Christ. Salvation is only in the person of Jesus. Now, what you and I hear, okay, so what, but what about the person who doesn't, the example is given, and our first response is, well, that doesn't seem fair. fair. Doesn't seem fair. When you get to heaven, and I will look at this some this summer, when you get to heaven, as we see things unfold, you know what you and I, all the questions about evil, what God did with the people in the rainforest, what, you know what we're going to do? We're going to say, oh my gosh, God nailed it every time. God was absolutely just. God was, I would have never seen he could have put all that together at the same moment. Folks, whether I have, we have a good answer for you today or not. Here's the reality. You can trust God's justice. And when you get to heaven, you will praise God for how just and perfect he handled everything. Now, my answer from scripture is somebody is not going to be saved without a faith in the person of Jesus Christ. We're not okay and, and folks, the issue is not the people in the rainforest. You're not okay. You may be all around the gospel, all around religion, all around church stuff. If you've not placed your faith in the person of Jesus Christ, you're not okay. The, the starting point is not that, that we're okay. We're, we're not okay. We need the person of Jesus. And, and you know what? God is excited that you're wondering about people who haven't heard because... I think we just prayed about that, didn't we? Down here with all those folks. He says, you know what? We should be concerned. What are you doing to go tell them? Go tell them, go tell them, go tell them. I'd like to add to that. You know, we have specific revelation and general revelation. Specific revelation being God's word. And uh, that very clearly says, and even in his word, Romans 1 says that uh, God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since... Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. And he goes on and talks about creation and general revelation. And what that's simply saying, folks, is that no matter where we are, even God's creation calls us to himself and draws us to himself. And if we are seeking the one true God in the right way, he will continue to reveal himself to us. And he yeah. hasn't made that promise. And he we're says we're that held we accountable excuse. for what we know. We are without excuse because even his, even his creation I mean, attests to his glory and who he is. Think, think about this. People will fall down and worship a rock. And what Romans one twenty says, does that make sense? Do you think the rock put the sun in place? They say, yeah, boy, boy, people are stupid. But is that any different than you and I worshiping money? Do we think 
that money put the sun in place and put the stars where they are and has answers for death. You know, and so we all end up in, in real ignorance and as a choice to put faith in something that we know, if we'll stop and think about it, can't possibly have done all this. We actually got a question just for James. Um, God has always been, so why didn't he create the world sooner? My mom is in the crowd. She can, <laughs> she can tell you that that was one of the first questions that I If he's always been around, why did he wait so long? Right? Infinity. Right. Right. Wrap your mind around that. Um, different people will answer that different ways depending on how they say God relates with time. Probably the most common answer is going to, say, is going to be that uh, God is outside of the realm of time, that time is something that is constraint on us, but not on God. And so that when God created time, or when God created space and matter, that time was part of that creation. And time is how we interact with the world around us in moment by moment by moment in a sequence. But God looks out at time and sees it all laid out at once. Uh, and so it's kind of a, a I don't know, you know, faulty premise. That's such a good answer. Some would that, was a, that was a setup. Yeah. He gave that question. Like, where did that <laughs> did. text come? Did it come it from did. his it phone number? From, it actually popped up. <laughs> That's James, James phone number. <laughs> yeah. Somebody answered the question. That way. Now, we got an old-fashioned text message. Oh, here. Uh, oh no. <laughs> from somebody. I love it. <laughs> I've never seen one of these before. I don't even know what to do with it. <laughs> so, well, you guys probably have seen this before. Oh, wow. <laughs> Uh, These young guys on the end keep going at it. There we go. All right. The question is, how does 1 Corinthians 14, 34 through 35 apply to us today in our church? uh, And how do we view women in our church in light of these verses? So the the passage is about uh, uh, women's roles in church. And should we read the passage, you think? Should we look it up? Uh, and read it out loud. That is the law in all yeah. you got it, you got it, it says women should keep First silence. Corinthians 14, I know that's what it says. Go ahead. No, no. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not being funny. It's what's funny. Okay, read the passage. Read the passage. It's too late now. It's too late now. It's, it's, what, it's, it's what it says. 31 to 35? Uh, 34 to 35. 34 35. Yeah, it's only two. Um, it says, In all the church of the saints, the women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. <laughs> But should be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want uh, to learn something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church meeting. Okay, so two, two, there's, I'm going to throw another verse out there. First Corinthians 14 says women should be silent in church. First uh, Timothy, Timothy 3 mm-hmm. says, I would that a woman not teach. Or over, exercise authority. Or exercise authority over men. And then you come into here, and I'm saying, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? It says, well, it looks like you are doing some things the Bible says not to do. Um, obviously, we have to interpret passages, and we have to understand, and you'll hear us say this a lot, the context. What's the context of what's going on? You just heard Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 say, women should be silent in church. Oddly enough, when you go three chapters back, to 1 Corinthians 11, you watch Paul give instructions on how women to speak in church. Okay, so either Paul just contradicted himself in the space of three chapters, not, not even from one book to another. Either he just contradicted himself in the space of three chapters, or what appears like obvious meaning to you mm-hmm. and me is not obvious meaning. Now, the thing that's unique about Christianity compared to every other religion, Christianity is the only religion that treats women as equals. 
There is zero comparison. There's not a second place. And as, as Christ especially, and you see... Uh, folks, it's just crazy that the first person Jesus reveals himself to after the resurrection is a woman. Because a woman was not even a legal witness in Jewish days. And so I, mean, I, mean, I could go illustration after illustration of where the New Testament is raising the, the level of womanhood and the equality of women. Now, as that happened, uh, and, and, and it's what was going on in Corinth, and Corinth was a, a crazy church. Two long letters dealing with all of their problems. Um, the women got excited about their new equality. They got excited about their new freedom. And they, were, they became very disruptive in the service. And by the way, this is not me making this up. It's explained more in 12 and 14. They, they, were, they were interrupting. They were like, hey, darn right, we're not standing behind the wall. We're coming inside. And, 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 they, were, and they got disruptive. And, and folks, no kidding. What you literally have Paul saying... To the women in that church, in that situation, shut up. <laughs> you're, you're just totally interrupting everything that is going on. Hey, there's a way to handle questions. There's a, a way to deal with things. Now, the bigger, th- the, the women speaking in church, women teaching. You, you have to remember, we're watching the birth of the church in the New Testament. Okay, They don't have radio programs. They don't have Sunday school classes. They, they don't meet at Starbucks and, and sit around and, and dialogue over, over Scripture. Teaching was handled really only by, by two classes of people. And actually, I take them as synonymous. They're, they're two words meaning the same thing. It was being handled by elders and it was being handled by pastors. And so when you see teaching, who was teaching? The ordained authority of the church. And so I think what Paul is saying in 1 Timothy 3 is, I do not want women holding the ordained positions of authority in the church. And you will see that something exercised, believed in here. We do not ordain women into the pastorate. We do not ordain women deacons. Now, actually, truth be known, I I think women can be deacons, but not in our context. Deacon is just somebody who serves. And that's all it really, especially when you're looking at, at, at the, the introduction of deacons in Acts. But then when you go to the qualifications for deacon in First Timothy, you see them beginning to take on this, this role of authority. And that's certainly a role they play in ours. They're spiritual leaders. They're spiritual guides. So we do not ordain women. But under the male headship of the church... Uh, we believe a, a woman can take on just about any aspect. Truth be known, and this might shock some of our men, I don't, I don't actually think that a male or female Sunday school teacher is expressing any authority. Uh, they're, they're not. They're, if I say something in here, it bothers you, and you want somebody to answer for it. If your Sunday school teacher says something you don't like, you go, that was stupid. <laughs> Why? What's the difference? Well, number one, I'm ordained. And number two, I said it's standing right here. See, you translate that as being a different level of authority. And so that's what I, that's what I mean by that. And so uh, we, we do, I, I think what Paul is getting to in all of those passages is not the activity. It's the role that activity plays. And it was an issue of authority. I took way too that's, long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's okay, though. I'm sorry. No, I'll recommend it. I thought if I could get it in one breath, I could keep going. Was that not the rule? No, that's not the rule. Okay. You don't get any points this round. James. Uh, Recovering (laughs) Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, a series of essays compiled by Wayne Grudem and John Piper. 
the first half of the book is different New Testament scholars addressing every single text in the New Testament uh, along that vein. And so it's, it's very helpful in, in parsing out the details of what those passages were getting at, the context and the meaning. Uh, so I, I would recommend that book. I, right? I think what's amazing is in a Christian nation, we look at crea- Christian, we're not a Christian nation, oh, I just said that, but in a nation where, where so many of us know that, we, Christianity is teach, taught, thought of as Neanderthal, and, and yet we think nothing of these other religions. And I'm going to say it one more time to close this. There's no second place to the role and, and, and to what scripture, how Scripture elevates womanhood. Uh, both, I said New Testament, but Old and New Testament elevates it. And there's, there's no comparison. Women are not treated well anywhere that Christianity has not stepped. Anywhere that a woman has rights, it's because Christianity has somewhere been in the history of that culture. Uh, kind of changing gears a little bit here, going to another specific, well, I guess we're actually not really changing gears, going to a specific passage about Jesus flipping over the money changer tables, and was that considered sin? Um, because, uh, this person brings up scripture saying it's okay to be angry as long as it doesn't lead to sin, but Jesus was damaging property in that example, and so, so was there a sin element to that, uh, to that example in scripture? And I would pitch that to Ronnie, actually, to start us off. (laughs) Ronnie, uh, uh, no, Randy doesn't get to talk. I'm not even going to talk. He doesn't, gonna, get to talk. he doesn't get to talk this time. Um, you know, the, obviously, I think you, one thing is again context. Where did that take place? And uh, you, you know, it's right there at the temple. And this is a this is to be a house of prayer. This is a place that is supposed to elevate above all other places the worship and the honor of God. And they were there to take advantage of people. They were there to to literally rip them off in order to, to sell them a bill of goods about how they can get close to God. You know, here they are. They're exchanging things and selling things, not just, you know, for profit, but just, you know, because people were coming. They wanted to make sacrifices. They wanted to do all these different things. And they, they kind of just funneled them right in. And, uh, and so the, these people were absolutely standing in, in what I would consider a holy place that, uh, that was his. You know, you got to remember, Jesus was, uh, is God. He was the creator. And so... Um, Yes, he, he absolutely uh, tore the place up in the sense. He, he flipped the money changers over, but it was to make an emphatic statement as to the fact that this is his house, his place. It is for worship. It is for, to be a house of prayer and nothing else. And, you know, I don't know that he could have stood up and got on the microphone and said, y'all, please don't do that. Uh, so, no, I don't <laughs> think it was sin at all in, in that regard. It's also the fulfillment of Scripture. I mean, it was. To Psalm 69 says, zeal for your house consumes me. Um, Go ahead. No, actually, I'm going to cut Randy off right there. That was really cool, man. (laughs) Go ahead. Actually, I saw this in Israel, and and this was defined to us. Actually, what was going on there. You you know, you're coming there for Passover. You you drag your little lamb all the way across Israel, and you get there, and guess what happens? The priest declared your lamb unclean. It had a blemish on it. Mm -hmm. But I know you came all the way here for the sacrifice. We, We just happen to have some lambs for sale. You can go right back here. And and guess what you're going to do? You're going to pay absolute top dollar for that lamb. So you go back there to buy your lamb. Now, what what is the tables they overturned? The money changers. The only money you can buy the lamb with is temple money, which nobody has. And so you'd bring your Roman money, you'd bring your Israeli money, whatever money you had, and you would have to exchange it. And it was a horrendous ripoff. And so what, what Jesus is watching, he's watching these people literally be robbed blind as they're attempting to serve God. 
And, and that's what I would call righteous anger. Uh, I'm going to pitch out this. Cool uh, yeah, that was great. Yeah, I wasn't paying attention. I mean, uh, on, the, on the destruction <laughs> thing, hey, but on the destruction thing, he's wiped out whole cities before. I don't know if I'm real worried about a table. Ask Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm going I'm to kind of throw this last question out uh, because I think it's one we've gotten, we've kind of talked about as a group. We talked about it last service, but I think it's a good closer for us because it'll lead us into sort of how I want you guys to wrap up this morning. But um, we defend a biblical position uh, of traditional marriage, one man, one woman, and yet in Scripture, uh, we see a lot of non-traditional marriage, a lot of polygamy occurring within Scripture. And so it seems, the question we got is, man, it seems we, one of our arguments is, is kind of defeated there. Uh, and so, James, we'll actually start with you and kind of work down this way. Uh, <laughs> or <laughs> do you want to take that one? Oh, yes, not. Yeah. <laughs> you can, you can if you want to. <laughs> Go for it. You better say what I said last Yeah, Randy week. answered this question last week. <laughs> <laughs> so the way we would so answer that is the, the purpose of the Bible is to bring men and women to saving faith in Christ. And so a lot of what the Bible does is it shows our, our heritage. It shows us what our, our great-grandparents were like, our great-great-grandparents were like, what Adam and Eve were like, to show the problem with humanity, which is sin. And so not every, but everything in the Bible, and the problem, this, the problem comes because we think of the Bible as a rule book, and so we think everything in the Bible is to show us what to do. Some of it is just showing us where we came from, showing us the infection of sin that is inextricably sewn into humanity, so that when we see Christ come, we will throw ourselves on the mercy of God through Christ. And so not everything that's portrayed in, in, in the Bible is something that the Bible's advocating for. It's just describing what things are like. It shows God's forbearance, God's wrath, God's justice, His mercy, His patience. And so don't take everything in the Bible that you see play out, especially in narrative, as something that's being prescribed, to use your term, something often that's just being described for a very specific purpose. And we also see in the lives of people like David, which we talked about last hour, in the sense of, uh, when yes, he, he was known as a man after God's own heart, which gives us all hope because here he, he made just horrific choices, especially in, in, in the realm of uh, having multiple wives and, and things like that. But he also suffered and had intense pain as a result of those things. So when you go back and you look at David's life and you see that his sons hated him and that uh, he, ran, he actually was being chased and hunted down and being threatened by, by his own children, and it all comes back to, man... God has, has a, uh, does have a prescribed way. He does say, hey, look, I created one man for one woman. He gave us that in Genesis. He showed us the way. And when you step outside of that, guaranteed destruction is coming. And it, you know, your hardship's coming because uh, when, when we leave God's design for our life, it, it results in tragedy. You? I'm about to explode. You're free to... <laughs> oh, they did all right. That was pretty good. That's pretty good. And, and you know, I would, I would take it out of that. I'll, folks, you have to do all Bible interpretation that way. Yeah. Is what I'm reading describing something or is it prescribing? Is it a command? Is it a, is it a principle? Clearly, as James just said, it's just describing what they did and it never applauds it. It never approves it. And I would say actually develops their story uh, Jacob, David, Solomon, all long stories about their polygamous families. And all of those families had tremendous trials and problems because of that very thing. Because of that very thing. So uh, I, I would, my challenge would be read closer 
Not, not just that he had this many wives. Read closer how it, how it describes what came from How'd that. How that worked for you? Um, you know, folks, these, are, these have been, been great questions. And I, I hope what you hear today is not, well, they said this answer, that answer. I hope what you heard us saying today is in the Bible, turn to Genesis, look with me at John. Look at, folks, we're, we're a people of the word. Okay, we're not a people of what a Southern Baptist say on this. We're a people of the word. And our goal for you is that you become a faithful, effective follower of Jesus Christ. Whatever little denominational title you you choose to attach to that, that you're a faithful, effective follower of Jesus Christ. Well, what does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to effective? Right here. This is this is the only thing we promote. This is the only source we look to in that. And you know what this book says? It says you, you can't be a faithful follower. You can't be an effective follower until you have placed your life under the person of Jesus Christ. And, and I, we would look at all these questions and say, you know what? The goal is not to see who's the smartest believer, who's the fastest at the sword drill. It, it, you know, the, the goal is that we become followers of Christ and then we use his word to grow in. Folks, you can know a lot about Israeli geography and go straight to hell when you die. You can answer a lot of Bible questions and spend eternity separated from God. The issue is not which questions can I answer and how good am I at it. The issue is have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? And as we conclude the service today, I'd hope what you'd hear is, hey man, there are answers. And God has those answers. And God has the answer for my life. God has an answer for me. I, I, I need to trust him for what he's going to do for somebody who hasn't heard, but I'm responsible for what I have heard. And, and folks, Jesus Christ is calling you today, maybe. Maybe this very day, he's calling you to come to faith in Jesus. In a moment, we're going to conclude our service. And right out in the center of our concourse, we have our fresh start table, a place maybe for you to begin a fresh start with God. Go out there. There's a group of folks just waiting to talk with you. Say, hey, what's it mean to be in a relationship with Christ? How do I have that? However you want to phrase that question, uh, they'll, they'll ask that. They'll answer that uh, in whatever time you want to take. And, and also what I hope a part of what you see here, folks, today is iron sharpens iron. Mm-hmm. We don't study God's word alone, and we don't walk with Christ alone. Yeah. And that's why God gave us the church. We belong not just in a room. A, a, a week, go, go sit in a room once a week with a bunch of people. We belong in relationship with one another. And that's how we grow. That's how we, you thought that. Where did you get? We check each other. We, we hold each other accountable. That's why God gave us the church. Man, if you're here today and you're not a part of a church family, not connected to one right now, looking for one, go to that same table right out there in the center and say, hey, what's this about church membership? How do you do that here? We'd be happy uh, to talk with you about that for a few moments. Your, your time this morning, just a reminder, I think Andy said, first time guest, we have a gift form right at that same table. I want to remind all our guests, I'll be out there at the, uh, at the center and uh, love the opportunity to meet you. Let's go ahead and, and wrap this time up in prayer, and we'll conclude today. Amen? All right. Heavenly Father, it's, uh, it's good to get together and ask questions and, and, and dialogue and see how you're understanding it and how this person's understanding it and how we bring those understandings together. God, it's, it's good to sharpen each other. It's good for that. And Lord, you tell us in your word, that's the way you created it. You made us mutually independent, interdependent on each other. We need each other to follow you. We need each other to grow in you. 
and, and to learn and to develop. Lord, I pray for all of us that there's a motivation today to get in your word. Maybe we won't learn it all. Maybe we can't stand up in front of a group of people and answer questions. But I can know more next year than I know right now. I could know a whole lot more five years from now than I do today. Lord, help all of us to start taking those little steps, one at a time, just beginning to unfold, to understand, to study your word and all that it has for us in it. Uh, May we be a people of the word here at the heights as we love and follow and exalt the person of Jesus. God, ask your blessing and favor on each one of us as we leave this room and head into the worlds in which you've called us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You'll have a great week.